Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. I have a shorter sermon today. It's only going to be about 20 minutes instead of the normal 30 minutes because I want to give 10 minutes of my sermon to our annual business meeting. And as Abby said, if you really want to find out what you care about, look at your checkbook. And so this is not, a, it's, I know it looks boring, oh, we're just going to talk about numbers. No, we're going to talk about what we care about as a church. So, and we do it once a year. We, um, so I'm going to encourage you to stick around. You'll be rewarded with coffee and treats in the lobby. Um, the last five weeks, we have been using the Jesus Storybook Bible, a children's Bible, in, instead of our normal Bibles, although we've been reading some passages of Scripture from our, our adult Bibles, we've been primarily leaning on this in an attempt to, to see Jesus, discover who Jesus is through the eyes of a child. One of the prayers that we prayed that were written down here was, who are you, Jesus? And that's a great prayer. And so we've been looking at the Jesus Storybook Bible to try to see who Jesus is through the eyes of a child. And we're covering the same children's Bible story up here that the kids are reading together downstairs. So if you see them at Coffee Sunday, you can ask them, hey, what did you learn about Jesus today? And hopefully you have some good conversation while they're sugaring up and you're caffeining up. Um, today we're going to look at another Jesus story from Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to read this a section at a time for us, again, from, from this children's story Bible. It says this, The sun was going down. The air was warm and still. Let's go across the lake, Jesus said to his friends. Jesus had been helping people all day, and now he was tired. So we're already going to pause. We're only three sentences into the story, but we're going to pause because there's something here that I want to point out that you and I can learn about Jesus and how you and I can become more like Jesus, and, that, and that's this. Even Jesus got tired and knew his limits. Even Jesus was tired. He was self-aware enough to know when he needed rest. And, and I think that's noteworthy because in our culture, we don't really know that, <laughs> right? We we don't value rest in our culture. We value work and busyness. When you ask somebody how they're doing, what do they usually say? Good, but busy. <laughs> right? And, and in fact, like, if you work a lot in our culture, if, you, if you're a workaholic um, in our society, you're celebrated, you're honored to the point where if you're not completely exhausted, something is wrong with you. <laughs> right? Have you ever felt rested and you're like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I need to like do something because I'm, I'm too rested right now. Everyone else around me is completely exhausted and I need to somehow get there because something is wrong. Beca and that's because rest is countercultural, right? It, it, in, in our culture, it's, it's almost the unpardonable sin to be rested. But when we look at Jesus' life, what we find is Jesus didn't function that way. He didn't live that way. He didn't work that way. That Jesus honored his limitations. He knew when to stop and rest. Look at this next sentence. It says this, Jesus climbed into the boat to take a nap. Now, I've said this before on numerous occasions, but it bears repeating again. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. <laughs> um, 
I have a friend who used to come to church here years ago, and he since moved away. But almost every Sunday, he would sit right over here in the front, and almost every Sunday during my sermon, he would fall asleep. <laughs> you could see his eyes roll back, and his head would start to nod, and sometimes we could all hear him snore. And each week, he, he would come up to me and said, oh, I, I feel so... He would, he would wake up when we all stood up at the end to sing the song. Right? Like, well, okay. <laughs> Some of you know who that friend is. And, and every, each week, he'd come up to me and say, Adam, I'm so sorry for falling asleep during your sermon. And I would remind him of the same thing. If you can't rest and take a nap during church on a Sabbath, where and when can you rest? It's perfectly fine. You have permission to sleep, and that word is for somebody here today. If you, you've just been waiting, like, oh, my eyes are heavy, rest, my friend. It's Sabbath. If you can't rest in church, where can you rest? But Jesus took a nap. Let's, let's keep reading. Um, as soon as his head touched the pillow, he fell fast asleep. It was a beautiful evening. A gentle breeze rustled the sails. The friends were chatting happily as they headed out into the middle of the lake. Everything was perfect, just right for a nice quiet sail. They were only about halfway across when out of nowhere, whirling winds swept across the lake, fierce and strong, like a hurricane. A blinding flash of lightning lit up the sky, thunder roared right overhead. The storm blew the water into towering waves that hurled the little boat up, 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 then sent it hurtling, crashing back down, down, down. The fishing boat was blown and buffeted and tossed and turned back and forth and up and down and left and right and round and round. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. In the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Let me pause here and, and ask this question. What do you do when Jesus seems to be asleep through your storm? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like when, when life circumstances are raging against you and, and it, it, it's seemingly out of your control and it feels like God is nowhere to be found, that he's asleep. I, I'm guessing the disciples who are in the boat with him here uh, were each wrestling with this in their own way, right? Because we all approach and manifest fear and anxiety differently, right? Some of us get ornery and mean when we get anxious and afraid. Others of us clam up and, and turn inward. Some of us maybe try to jump in and fix things and make more of a mess of things, <laughs> right? Others of us give up entirely and just resign ourselves to whatever happens. And I'm sure the disciples, because we know they were all, all had different personalities and, and characteristics and attributes of how they handled things, I'm sure they're all navigating that during this storm. But we're told that there were experienced fishermen in this boat with Jesus. The next sentence says this, Now Jesus' friends had been fishermen all their lives. So if anyone should have been able to get through this storm, it was them. And, and we're told that they try everything in their power to get through it until they realize they can't. That... They try not to bother Jesus. They try to let him sleep, and they're just trying to figure out how to get through the storm until they realize they cannot. The rest of the, the paragraph says it this way. 
But in all their years of fishing on this lake, they had never once seen a storm like this one. No matter how hard they struggled with their ropes and sails, they could not control their boat. This storm was too big for them. It was too big for them. See, if, if you've ever been through a storm, you probably relate to the disciples because we're prone to doing everything in our power to try to get through it. Whatever life throws at us, right, whether it's an illness or a job loss or um, we move to a new place or, or we have a relational conflict, we try everything in our power to kind of get through that storm on our own until we realize we can't. And then we wake up Jesus and we say, God, help and that's what the disciples are going through. They realize this storm was too big for them. It's not surprising that in some early Christian art, the church is depicted as a boat. And this is partly because of this story that we read in Mark chapter 4. Um, because this, an icon or a metaphor of a boat can help us remember how, how Jesus protected the disciples through the stormy sea of Galilee. Um, boat icons were a reminder that Jesus is with us. And so the early church would, would use these um, boats and icons and, uh, and pictures of boats to remind them of that. Also, when the early church was, was navigating the Sea of Persecution and they needed to disguise the cross in order to avoid trouble, they would oftentimes draw a boat and draw a mast with a cross in it. It was a way that they would proclaim faith in Jesus without drawing too much public attention, right, in a time when Christians were being martyred and, and killed. And a third reason why the early Christian art depicts the church as a boat is, is it's really a symbol of humility. That it, it's a reflection of how the Christian life is much less like a ship or a vessel, and it's more like a humble, wooden, leaky fishing boat. <laughs> with a mast and a sail, right? It, it, it's an image that directly challenges our illusion of control, that helps us admit that, that some storms are too big, but they're not too big for Jesus, right? The Jesus Storybook Bible continues by saying this. The storm wasn't too big for Jesus. Help, they screamed. Wake up. Quick, Jesus. Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us. Save us, they shrieked. Don't you care? That's a question we all ask, right? God, sometimes, don't you care? Of course Jesus cared. And this was the very reason he had come, to rescue them and to save them. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. That's all. And the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and they did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped, the water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. That's you and I. Why are you scared, he asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet, as quiet as the wind and the waves. And into their hearts, 
came a different kind of storm. Let's pause there because that's interesting. What, what, do you, what do you suppose the author of this children's Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones, is getting at with this phrase? This phrase that in, into their hearts came a different storm. See, here's what I believe she's trying to get across with these words, with this paraphrased version of what's happening in Mark 4, that with this miracle of Jesus calming the wind and the waves, Jesus was calming one storm and inviting the disciples into another one. Because by revealing who Jesus is through this miracle, Jesus was extending an invitation to the disciples. It says this, Let's just keep reading another paragraph. What kind of man is this, they asked themselves anxiously. Even the winds and the waves obey him, they said, because they didn't understand. And look at this line. They didn't realize yet that Jesus was the Son of God. See, this is where, this is the place where the disciples began to become aware of who Jesus was. And it changed everything for them. They saw that that Jesus wasn't just their rabbi. He wasn't just a good moral teacher. But he was the living Lord, the one who can calm the wind and the waves with the word. In fact, he was the one who created the wind and the waves in the beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And they're coming to this realization and they're filled with holy reverence and awe. Because this is where they discovered that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. And what he was inviting them into was much more than they initially understood. Which the author of this children's Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones, does an amazing job of when she says this, and into their hearts came a different kind of storm. One more threatening than the storm they'd just gone through because it even required more courage and more trust. In Jesus, right? See, responding to Jesus' invitation to surrender our own lordship, to come under his lordship, can feel unsettling, right? Especially in our culture, where we want to be our own lord of our lives. And yet Jesus here, through this miracle, is revealing to the disciples, he's not just a teacher, he's lord. And what the invitation really is, is, to these disciples is, will you surrender your own lordship to come under his lordship? And that is a very different kind of storm. One that can feel even more threatening. To surrender our lordship to come under his, to make him our king, it changes everything. Did you know that the, the very first creed of the early church, even before the Apostles' Creed, before the Nicene Creed, which we've had for hundreds of years, the church has leaned on those, and, and there's such a gift to the church to be rooted in, in sound doctrine, right? But before those creeds even existed, there was another creed that the early church used. It was three simple words. Jesus is Lord. Now, they're simple words, but they're not easy, right? To make Jesus our Lord is, is scary. It's unsettling. It, it, it can be stormy. And yet that was the first creed of the early church. And the early disciples spent the rest of their lives working that out. Making Jesus Lord. See, making Jesus our Lord and King is a lifelong commitment and process. It's, it's, 
It's one that at, at times can feel stormy and unsettling, and yet it's invigorating, it's life-giving, it's peaceful, it's liberating all at the same time. John Mark Comer says this, the reward for following Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> the reward for making Jesus Lord is Jesus. And, and what these disciples realized is that even though they were terrified of this idea of navigating who Jesus is, that on the other side, they, they knew deep down they were going to find peace. They were going to find hope. They were going to find life. At one point, Jesus says, says to them, are you going to leave me too? And they said, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. And so I say that to say this, that, that when we consider, when, oh, let me back up. There's two storms most of us are facing. <laughs> one is life circumstances, swamping us, right? We're, we're out of our control. And we need Jesus to, to, to calm those things for us. There's another storm we navigate that can be even more treacherous. And that's when we start to realize who Jesus is and what he's inviting us into, to surrender our lordship to his. But here's the thing. On the other side of that lake is the peace and the hope and the life and the freedom that we've been longing for. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron. Wait, if we mean when I surrender my lordship, I find freedom and li liberty and liberation? Yeah. It, it, it's the strangest thing. But deep inside, we all know it to be true. Because we've been lord of our own lives. <laughs> and it's when we surrender that lordship to Christ and we come under, we, we surrender it and come under his, that we find the very thing that's eluding us. Life in him. And so I want to close th this morning by taking a moment to pray um, for those of you who might be in one of these two storms. Maybe right now you're being tossed about by challenging circumstances in your life. You know, again, maybe it's a relational conflict, a financial conflict. Um, you know. You know what, what's swamping you. <laughs> um, and maybe there's others here who are, who are really just trying to navigate who Jesus is. And I'll tell you this, that I've faced both these storms in my life and will probably again. And, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me when that happens. But today, I just want to pray for you. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're doing everything in your power to get through whatever storm you're in. But you're not sure how you're even keeping your head above water. You're barely making it. And you really desperately need Jesus just to calm that storm. To, to assure you that he's with you, right? That he's not asleep, that he's there. I want to pray for you. Or, may, or maybe, again, you're facing this other kind of storm the disciples face where you're becoming aware of who Jesus is and you're beginning to understand the invitation he's extending to you and as terrifying as it feels, you're beginning to see that on the other side, there's a peace that passes all understanding that there's a freedom that comes when we surrender to Christ. I want to pray for you too. So can I pray for us? I invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to sing one last song after our prayer. And then I'm going to just invite you to stick around for 10 minutes so you can hear a little bit about what our church is caring about, what we did this last year. And then we'll have some, some coffee and treats together. Or hot chocolate. That's right, Justin. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the simplicity of this children's Bible that forces us to become not childish but childlike.
to experience who Jesus is through the eyes of a child. And, and Lord, we confess that we need that because we, in our adult sophistication, <laughs> get trapped in this boat that the disciples found themselves in. We're just overwhelmed. Tossed to about by things outside of our control. And we forget that we're dependent on you. And today we're reminded that, that some storms are too big for us. But they're not too big for Jesus. So I pray for my wind-torn friends here today who are being swamped by life circumstances. If it's an illness or a financial situation or a relational conflict or whatever, whatever it is they're facing that they're feeling that they can barely keep their head above water. Lord, would you rescue them? Would you do what you do, Jesus? Speak peace to their soul. Let them know that you're with them. Lord, I pray for my other friends who are, are battling a different storm, trying to navigate who you are, trying to figure it out. And in the midst of their deconstruction, you, you just stand there ready and present with them. I pray you would also embolden their hearts and give them courage to stick it out. That you would breathe on the embers in their soul that are telling them that God is good, that he's trustworthy, that he's, he's righteous, he cares about us. Lord, I pray for the courage that they need to surrender their own lordship to, to Jesus' lordship. Find the life that, that Christ promises. And Lord, more, more than everything, we, we want to have ears to hear whatever your Spirit says to us. And so as we sing this last song, God, if you want to continue talking to us, we want to hear you. So open our ears and our hearts to whatever it is you want to say. And we'll do our best to listen and, and to obey. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.